Hey, everybody, welcome. Let me check my audio here real quick. Yep, that's good. I think next time I do this, we'll do it on webinar. Because then not everybody's on video. Not everybody wants to be on video. Uh, I, I have set it so that you can't unmute yourself. And uh, maybe that's a bad idea, but raise your hand. If we want to talk, we'll have to do the hand raising thing. Because otherwise you get, you know, like somebody comes in, they unmute themselves. They're screaming at their kid. They don't know they're unmuted. We've all been there. We've all been there. Okay. So I think people will keep trickling in. In yesterday's email, I promised that I would show you a new toy that I made for you. And in classic fashion, as I was working with it and testing it before the call, I found out realize that it's broken doesn't work quite right so before i send out a link to it i'll fix it but in the meantime i'll at least show it to you because it might be cool this is one of those things where we're going to see if you like it and if you like it we can build it out and make it more and more useful but here's the backstory uh for a long time i've wanted to be able to give clients a kind of a planning tool that was, that's robust enough to be useful, but simple enough that people will actually use it. And especially in the coaching world, this is, which is where most of you operate. Most of my bookkeeping clients operate there in the coaching world. People usually have a combination of payment plans and products, and they're trying to figure out how much money they might make in a given year, how much revenue they might generate in a given year. And there's not really, I mean, it's not that it's rocket science to create a spreadsheet like this, but I have not found that clients feel very confident to do that. So about a year ago, actually, a client asked me to make something like this for her, and it forced me to think through um, how I would actually do that. And then I forgot about it after building it. And then since it's the first of the year and I have this on my mind, I remembered it. So I want to share it with you. Here's the idea. It's called the Business Model Playground. The idea is that you'd be able to put in your product names and your and uh, and your um, kind of payment plan options um, in here, and then it would tell you kind of how many of those sales you would tell it how many of those sales you expect to make in any given month, and then it's going to tell you what your revenue will be not only in that month but in subsequent months based on payment plans. And that's confusing to me too. So let's, let me show you what I mean. So let's say that you have a one-on-one -on -one program and you have a full pay. Oops. You have a full pay. So if we put a one in here in January, assume I make one full pay sale, then we can follow that through and see that in January I have, uh, I have $7,000 in full pay revenue, which is here, according to my color coding. And that's straightforward. But the confusing bit is, let's say that I have a six pay option and I have six payments of a thousand, but it's 7,000 total. So maybe it's going to be seven payments. Let's do that. And I make one payment plan sale in January. Well, ideally that would then show me that I'm going to be generating in revenue. I'll get a thousand in January through July. If you go right here, by the way, and sell J17, you see where my math breaks. And that's why I can't give you this thing yet. Because let me tell you something, this formula, I, I wrote it. I have no idea how it works. I can't read it to myself, 
but I will go back through it and I'll figure out how I came up with this formula and I will fix it before I give you this spreadsheet. But the idea here is you'd be able to say one payment plan sale in January results in this much revenue over the following X number of months, because that math can be confusing for people if they say, well, I'm going to launch in September. And I think that in my group, I can actually make a bunch of uh, sales in September. And maybe I think in September, I'm going to make uh, 50 total sales, but I'm going to split those evenly between full pay and payment plan. Well, that's going to tell me that in September, I'd make 25,000 25, times seven in revenue for, the, for that. And then I'd get all those first payments. And then those subsequent payments would come in over the following months. Of course, another flaw in the formula is that if you make those sales in September, you shouldn't actually get revenue in May. That'd be awesome, but it's not how math works or physics, I guess, but I have to fix the formulas. The idea is I would love for you to be able to sit with this for a few minutes per year and just use it as scratch paper and say, what, what, what's possible here? What does it look like if I make this number of sales and it's split up between these payment plans? I'm going to fix the formulas in this, then I'll send this out in an email. And if enough of you start to play with it and find it useful, we'll make it more flexible. As in right now, it's only got room for three products and it only assumes a full pay and a payment plan for each of those products and so on. If we think it's a useful tool, then we can build it out and make it a little bit fancier and a little bit, uh, a little bit better so that you could start the beginning of the year and you could say, here's how much I think I could do this year. And here's how that translates into money coming into my checking account. Basically, that's the, the end result is we want to know how, kind of how much money would I have and when would I have it? So that is the business model playground. And yeah, any questions, comments on that? Raise your hand if you want to say something about it. It's okay if you don't, but I just want to create tools that help you all think a little bit more clearly about what's going to happen in your businesses. I think a lot of you come from a background where we talk about impossible goals. Uh, that's fine. That's your thing. Um, this is something that would ground your goal setting in a little bit more reality. So if you were to say, I think I can make 50 sales in my group in September, then you get to ask yourself, and then first of all, you get to say, great, that means it would be this much cash in September, October, and so on. But it also gives you a chance to say, do, do I think I can actually make 50 sales? What actually has to happen in order for you to make 50 sales? Do I have any sense of that? Or am I just, you know, manifesting it? Um, questions, comments, anybody want to talk about goal setting, revenue planning? your thought process along those lines? If so, raise your hands because I don't have any other prepared materials. So if you're not, if you're not talking, we're going to be real short. Uh, Natalie Clay, raise your hand, Natalie Clay. Unmute. Allow. Ask to unmute. Okay, this Zoom thing is, we're going to have to change how we do this Zoom thing. Yeah, that worked. 
Oh, that worked. Okay, cool. I was raising my hand like this, but you didn't see. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. Someone, Rebecca just said we don't have the option to raise electronic hands. So I was like, man, I'm not experienced on this side of zoom. I think Well, clearly I'm not either. And like all the people saying Natalie is like frantically wanting to say something. So thanks everyone. Everybody had your back. Yeah. Thanks guys. Um, I really like that spreadsheet and I would like a copy of it when you fix the formulas. Um, is it going to be one of those things where you like, or I guess what I'm requesting is please be specific if we can't like add columns or because I tend to do that, like, Oh, I need to add more products or whatever. And then I screw it all up. But like, what if I need a line for the law of traction, Mark? I need to be able to appreciate that. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. It's real. Not everyone knows me like you know me. So I know, sorry. We, yes. Anyway, I will, um, I I will do that. I will mute. Yeah, the the curse of spreadsheets is that they tend to be so, so fragile. You change one thing and the whole thing breaks and then you don't know what happened. So yeah, I'll, I'll try to make it as durable as possible and then share it with the group. Is that your question? That was your only question? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about revenue planning and your big goals and plans for the year. Oh, I'd love to. Let's do it. Mm, Okay. Like coaching? Are we doing coaching? Like me coaching you? Yeah. Is that what we're doing or just asking questions? We can. I'm just curious. Well, okay. I'll ask you some questions. So, uh, because I know your products pretty well. Um, What what part of your business are you excited to grow this year? Hmm, That's a good question. Uh, wow. Excited to grow. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> now I'm on the spot. Um, I don't know why that feels like a complicated question. Oh, it's a, cause well, I knowing you the way I do and some of the things no we way. have in common, that could be a very pressure filled question. Yeah, it can. It is. So uh, a way I might reframe that for myself would be wh- which if, if one area of your business were uh, no, how, where would growth be least likely to cause you angst and regret or regret? Mm-hmm. Like, where would you hate growth the least in your okay. business? Yes, that's a better question. <laughs> I need it in the negative always. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you about my mind. Um, probably why the law of attraction does not work for me either. Anyway, okay. Um, probably, probably marriage lab. I am trying to grow marriage lab. So I like the idea of growing that. Do you, do you like the idea of growing that? Uh, well, I, I say yes, but there's just so many things that get in the way of me being excited to grow it. Ideally, yes. Like if I have someone hired that's going to help on the back end that I've already hired and I know we, it's a really good fit and I have all the funnel stuff done and the marketing stuff done, then yes, I'm excited. That's the part that I get less excited about. What do you mean by back end? I, I know you're not alone in, in these feelings. So when you say hired someone to deal with the back end, what do you mean? Um, just like when people sign up and when they want to leave or when they have questions and things like that, like I want to really grow it so that I would need somebody to have to handle all those questions that I don't, you know, and just stuff with like billing. I have it with my website. They'll have it set up so they can change their credit card and stuff like that. But, you know, inevitably there's going to be a lot of stuff on the back end that's going to need to be like maybe I just made that up maybe there's not a lot of back end stuff but I I've, I've been told that there's going to be a lot of back end and I won't be able to do it on my own so I think it's all the not quite knowing what I'm doing that always 
gets me. If I were to describe the, tell me if this is a reasonable uh, description of what you mean by backend. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're saying everything that is not you talking on a Zoom call with your marriage lab members. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. I think that's, um, I appreciate you bringing it up because when we, when we do, when we make spreadsheets like the one I just shared and then I'll send out to everybody, we reduce the business to spreadsheet cells, which has its benefit. It's fun, can be very powerful, but it doesn't always map to uh, our experience of the business as in, wait, if I have 500 or a thousand or however many marriage lab members, uh, I, the spreadsheet tells me that that will be X number of dollars, but what, how many emails will be landing in my inbox and mm -hmm. what, what will those people be expecting of me? And, um, like, will I, will I end up in a business that I hate that <laughs> you and I, I mean, you know, for those who don't know me that well, that's one of my persistent kind of chronic anxieties and fears is what if I end up owning a business I despise? And uh, then life coaches are like, change your thoughts or whatever. Fine. But like, <laughs> like, but really, what if I end up owning a business I hate? So that's where numbers are fun. They can be fun to play with, but you, you want to think through what will be the experience of the business. Now I used to think and this only has changed pretty recently. I used to think that the answer was always, well, you just hire people. You hire people to help you and you have them do the parts that you hate and you do the parts that you love. And I do think that's valid, viable, and I think that can work. Here's another perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Figure out which things you're going to hate and mm -hmm. just don't make them part of the thing. Mm, I like that. So here's a weird extreme example that's probably not practical, but mm -hmm. might be useful in its impracticality. So for example, what if, what if people were not, what if there was no customer service? Hmm. Now this is heresy, right? You, you no, can't, but I love this. Yeah. You, you can't not have customer service, Maybe. but, but the assumption about customer service is People, people never even pause to ask themselves these questions. Mm -hmm. um, the assumption with customer service is, well, I have to have customer service because I have to have, uh, people have to have a way to ask questions. Well, why? You just keep asking, well, why do they have to have? Well, because if they don't, then they'll cancel. Well, maybe we would rather have a cancellation than a customer service email. These are the trade-offs we actually mm -hmm. have to consider if we want to avoid owning a business that we hate. I'd love that. Mm -hmm. And then the question ultimately becomes, wait a minute, what if you could have a business where you, you actually do cut out all the stuff that you hate and you just, you come, you're basically coming to the, to the world, you come into the market and saying, I can meet you. I can engage with you under these conditions. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the conditions I can't tolerate is you emailing me randomly. I, I can't tolerate that. So it's yeah. not part of my thing. And you can quit anytime. I love that. And you can that. quit anytime. And then people are like, well, what that. if they need a refund? What if they want to get a refund? Yeah. Well, not that this is an easy solution, but I'm a nerd. So my brain goes to a technical solution. I actually, I know how to program something that would allow people to give themselves refunds. Hmm. And that's my fantasy. Like I've always, like, I, 
my refund policy is if you ever want a refund ever in the rest of your life for any reason, I will give you your money back. Mm -hmm. That's my refund policy. So if that's my refund policy, why would I not program a button that says, give me my money back and let people give themselves their money back. Right. I really like that. Yeah. This, and for the record, I know that this is super weird and possibly completely impractical, but when you start to take yourself take yourself through these kinds of thought experiments, then the, a lot of the, I think the pressure starts to dissolve because you may come back, you may loop back and say, you know what, having allowed myself to think through the possibility of not offering any sort of customer service whatsoever, just giving myself the space to consider that I've realized, ah, we could do it. I could do a customer service email. I'll hire someone you know, he or she will man the customer, they'll, they'll do the customer service email, we'll create standard answers. It won't be that big of a deal, but it's very helpful for my personality to first give myself permission to consider not doing it at all. Yeah. I love that. And I never would have thought of that. I think I'd much rather do that. Look at, uh, this, we've, I think, I think you and I've talked about this, but uh, a model that I'm super curious about copying right now is Jennifer Finlayson's Fife, Finlayson Fife's Room for Two podcast. Okay. And one of the reasons I'm so curious about copying it is that she does have a customer service email and I have used it. I'm a subscriber to her paid podcast. Mm-hmm. For those of you who haven't heard of Dr. Finlayson Fife, she does a paid, po- a private podcast. It's a hundred bucks a year. And as far as I know, it's just a podcast. Maybe there's other features, but I'm not aware of what they are and if there are any, I don't want to know about them because I want to consume the podcast and nothing else. Mm-hmm. She has a customer service email, but she doesn't have anything else as far as I can tell. And that kind of breaks rules. I think that breaks rules. I'm not aware of there being worksheets. I'm not aware of there being like, so her job is to have calls with people, record those calls and publish those calls on a pod- podcast feed. That's it, as far it. as I know. Uh, in the chat, if anybody knows that I'm wrong, will you please tell me? I'm fine being told I'm wrong if they if they know it's some other way than that. You'll chat in momentarily if you know. So it's a great example of uh, less of just less. Mm-hmm. I think Marriage Lab has sort of the same DNA as as mm-hmm. Room for Two, where people just want to hear other people getting coached about their relationship. Yeah. I love that. And if you set it up that way, that it's just a podcast and stuff like a whole membership, then that kind of clears it up to like what you're offering. So you can look at the name. I like that. That's my opinion. And it is just my opinion, but it's my, my, it's, it's my opinion because something that we tend to do, and maybe this is just me and I'm projecting, but you all can tell me whether it resonates when I want to sell something and I'm, and I'm afraid I won't be able to sell it. I tend to throw in all the bells and whistles in hopes of getting them to buy. Mm. Like I'm going to give them this and I'm going to give them that. But it turns out all of that ends up being a form of debt because it has to be maintained. It has to be, it's like, if you promise, if you promise A, B, C, D, and E, and then you start to neglect D and people are like, Hey, I loved D. Mm-hmm. What happened? And you're like, oh, well, I, nobody was really talking about it. So I stopped doing it. Well, I loved it. Oh, shoot. I better get, I better start doing that again. 
<laughs> that's the other, the more features you add to a thing, and then you ask people what their favorite feature is, you'll get a pretty even distribution across all the features. And yeah. you won't know if you're allowed to quit any of those things. Love it. And you're like, I got to do all of this. I love it. But if you start with just A or maybe A and B, then you yeah. don't create that debt. Because what I'm thinking is this impacts the way that I would sell it, but I like this so much better for that exact reason where it's the calls, but really make it clear. All you're going to get is these weekly calls. You can come and get coached on them. And then I have like my foundational topics where it's like all of a sudden, if you're dealing with infidelity, there's infidelity, but I'm never updating those. I'm never adding, yes. there's nothing monthly, nothing new. It's just the same. And then I will do a tag on the calls of like, if it aligns so they can listen to calls based on that topic, but that's it. So it'll just be those the calls, and then anything I might be selling in the future that they can have access to first. That's it. But I like the idea it's so much cleaner than like, it's a membership and you can come here and do this and this, but really kind of selling them on how little it is rather than how, how it covers or whatever. Yeah. And I'm totally bringing, I, sh I never want to act like the way I'm wired is the way everybody is wired. For me, when you sell me something small, I'm more excited to buy it, even at a higher price. When I say small, I don't mean mm -hmm. small, low end, like low price. Mm -hmm. I mean something where the probability of me failing gets really low because there's yeah. just not that much for me to do yeah. in yeah. order to feel like I'm benefiting from the thing. So Amanda Louder, thanks for putting in the chat. She says, actually, Room for Two also gives you a private Facebook group, a Facebook Live once a month, and first access to live events. Mm -hmm. The only one of those that bothers me is a private Facebook group. Mm -hmm. does, does, uh, does JFF post in the private Facebook group? Does she engage in there? Because rarely that's the answer I want to hear. So yeah, it's like, oh, she says her assistant posts in the private Facebook group. Great. Um, yeah, that's, I I've thought a lot over the last uh, few weeks, few months, I don't know about, uh, about Jody's thing about be bold and how many people I've had say to me over the years that they, their kind of like mindsets or lives were transformed just listening to Jody's podcast or, um, listening, uh, to Jody coach people in, in the membership. And I'm like, then why, why pile much more on top of it than that? That seems to be super high leverage for Jody and for the participant. Mm -hmm. And I think Jody does do a great job of that by the, obviously like she doesn't pile a whole bunch of other stuff on that. Mm -hmm. But I think the, I think people's uh, tendency is to be like, and I've got to add this and that and, and, and. And then you feel like you're not using it too. And then you feel like you're not using it. Mm -hmm. I like that. Like, I don't know how people stay subscribed to self-coaching scholars. I don't know how they do it. Like the mental emotional overload uh, or like overhead of all the stuff that I'm not consuming, but their mindset's probably very different about it. But when I think about something like room for two, I am succeeding in the use of my hundred dollars per year. When I listen to her, to that episode and I feel very successful and I love it. So food for thought. Love it. Thank you. I love marriage lab as an idea. And I think it's a brilliant use of your talent and experience. 
Thanks. I'm ex- that seriously just changed a lot for me and made me more excited about it. I'm, and now I'm just wondering about the price. I know the price is whatever, but, but I'm thinking there's a lot of people that have been paying, I, I charge $89 a month and a lot of people have been paying that and I haven't been putting anything new in it. It's just been those one week, one day a week calls and that's it. So maybe I just stick to that or, but that seems like a lot when you tell me, I know it doesn't matter, but a hundred dollars for the year, I'm like 89 a month seems high. Yeah. I've started to, I've started to resist commenting on price because I know myself to be a chronic underpricer and also pretty cheap. It turns out I never knew I was cheap until I finally just admitted to myself that I'm pretty cheap. So anyway, yeah, I, I'm not a good advisor on price. Cause I tend to advise people. I've noticed myself being like, well, maybe down. I, I tend to be like, well, maybe a little less, like that's mm-hmm. not necessarily useful. So I've just stopped commenting at all. Okay, I'll pick on it. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. Who um, who had something pop into their heads based on what they heard Natalie talking about as it relates to their business model or revenue planning or marketing or or anything? By the way, I'm here for anything you need. Did somebody raise a hand? Who? Oh, there there you are, Rebecca. Hi. There you go. Sorry, it's um, late and there's a little baby. So (laughs) Um, I actually had was sort of just like as you were talking about, um, like sort of different kinds of ways to come out and think about things. I'm just I'd love for you to either give me your thoughts or ask me some questions, (laughs) maybe help um, unlodge a little bit. I'm just sort of looking at um, my... (laughs) I'm not doing profit first. I have very little profit. And when I look back at like where the, the two obvious super big costs are um, ads, which I'm not running currently, but which were really useful in terms of like boosting my overall revenue and also coaching and coaching training, um, ongoing additional trainings. And um, I have a very strong belief that these two things have like contributed to the money I'm making. <laughs> And yet I'm also kind of like, maybe that's the, those are the, those are the, uh, since those are such a large cost, it's like sort of the obvious areas to, to pull back on as well. The trap you might fall into, and you, this may not, this may not be true for you, but the trap you might fall into is uh, feeling stuck between more coaching and more training is the thing that contributes to me generating money. And all of my money goes to coaching and training. And it feels that seems to be the rock in the hard place that n- not a small percentage of people feel stuck between. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like stuck okay. partly because I love it. Right. Like I, like the trainings I go with, I'm like, this is the person I really want to learn from. I feel like I see, like, I feel like I get results from them. I pass them on to my clients and yet at the same time. Yeah. Like the, the level, the numbers are too close. So that's the thought. The numbers are too close. And you have to, what you have to uncover is um, why do they seem too close? There's some, there are a few perspectives here. It really depends on what the, what is the job of the business in your life? Mm. Is the job of the business in your life to pay for your personal expenses, to pay for your personal savings and long-term kind of uh, retirement type plans? Is it, 
Is that its job or is the job of your business to kind of self-sustain and create fun and enriching uh, experiences for you? Because I've seen, I've seen both. And I, having had my booking, bookkeeping business for as long as I have and doing the CFO work for as long as I have, I finally realized that those are both very clear kind of camps. Some people truly seem to be in business to mm-hmm. pay for the next mastermind. <laughs> and if that, I, I sometimes can be sarcastic and I don't want that to sound sarcastic. That truly seems to be why some people are in business. And once I was like, you know what? They love those masterminds. And that's probably for them mm-hmm. a reason to get out of bed in the morning and power to them. Yeah. It's such an interesting way to think about it that because it's like, if that's actually your desired result, then like, that's amazing to be able to see that front and center. That's not my intended <laughs> That's not okay. like my intended result. Um, it is. It is definitely like sort of. I have that that vision of that. This that there was a. It, my intent was that there was going to be an investment early on that was going to yield larger and larger amounts to become like sort of the primary income for myself and for my family. Um, and that's not where I'm at right now. Um, I think that if I can just throw in, like I was, I was a freelancer for a long time previously. And I think that I had some false or gaps just because there were my expenses in the previous career were so, so small, were so low. And I think I had false expectations or just lack of knowledge about all these additional expenses I would have as coaching, or at least I know that not everybody takes those on as a coach, but that, that I have um, taken on. Um, well, something that definitely has happened to you because it has happened to all of us in the coaching world is you've, you've experienced anchoring. So when you say in your previous life, uh, or in, in the first part of your career as a, as a pure freelancer, before you entered the coaching world, your expenses were relatively low and you, and you, you didn't realize what expenses there would be. Well, as you've pointed out, the expenses were mostly coaching and mastermind expenses. And the, the, the reason that those are proportionally high in your business is because you've been anchored. The more people tell you that a mastermind is name the number of thousands of dollars, the more it normalizes that number in your head. And you start to, you can't, not you, I'm trying to speak more generally. Mm -hmm. A person can start to treat those things as normal and standard and expected, and then maybe even required. And that I think can be tricky. So and by tricky, I mean problematic because the reality is you don't have to, uh, you know, high-end coaching and mastermind. These things can be wonderful. They can be fun. They can be transformational. They can lead to relationships that lead to huge amounts of revenue. I'm, I acknowledge all of that. And they can also just be a form of vacation. And that's awesome too. But if they are a form of vacation, and if you've acknowledged that in your life, then you start to say, okay, now I'm, I'm going to take ownership of the trade-offs because X thousand dollars, if I took it out of my business and used it in my personal life, it would purchase X, Y, and Z. If I invested it, put it in a mutual fund, then it's going to earn maybe 7% per year for, for the duration. So there become, there's a very real trade-off that's happening here. And sometimes in the coaching world, it it seems like coaches lose sight of those trade-offs because they seem to always associate their next level of success with paying someone else tens of thousands of dollars. 
Uh, and I mean, I'm a bookkeeper for coaches. So when that happens, I win, but I want, I want people to be like, well, what am I actually doing here? A phrase that might be helpful or might be totally unhelpful that I've used for a lot of years now is, uh, milkshakes have a ton of protein in them, but they're still milkshakes. So masterminds may have a ton of value in them. There may be protein in there, but that doesn't mean that there's that, that it's strictly speaking, always the healthiest choice. And you got to step back and say, well, as I, as I'm thinking about this next mastermind or this next high-end coaching experience, is it a milkshake where I'm ignoring all the sugar and the fat and I'm pretending it's all about the protein or is it actually a chicken breast and it's, you know, it's lean and it's exactly what I'm looking for. I don't have the answer for everybody, but I think it's worth a few seconds of pause. That's a great analogy. Thank you. Maybe a few days of pause. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thanks, Mark. That's really useful. I'm curious. Can I just ask, do you have any sort of similar thoughts or analogies? I mean, I've heard you talk about Facebook ads before, and I think you've sort of like indicated I remember at some point you talking about like, you know, the sort of like, you know, it's not necessarily this easy thing. As I said, like I've sort of pulled back on doing them and I can see that like my audience is growing a lot more slowly right now without, without them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious if you have any sort of similar. Uh, with Facebook ads, uh, I think you've got to define, you, you've got to define success for the campaign. And I know campaign, in, that means something specific, like their individual campaigns. I'm thinking generally about Facebook as a campaign. You want to define success and then you want to measure against that. So if it is list growth, then it's easy to measure that. You could say, oh, so you know, I spent $1,000 on ads this month and I had 100 people join my list. So I paid $10 per new subscriber. And then you get to play with whether or not you think that's a sustainable amount of money to pay for that result. And that's a little bit of a black box. Um, there's not going to be a perfect formula there, although people, I think, will probably try to sell you perfect formulas. I don't really believe there is one. You kind of have to say, here's how much I'm paying. Here's what I think I'm getting from it. And I think that's tolerable and sustainable. And... Um, uh, and I like what's happening on the, on the back end, as in I'm spending about a thousand dollars a month on ads and I'm filling my groups or I'm signing one-on-one clients, or you're just sort of looking at the thing and kind of squinting and saying, yeah, I think this is working. <laughs> but in order to do that, you have to pick a number and measure against that and then, and then go forward from there. Okay. I do... I tend not to be super pro advertising, especially for newer businesses. Your business isn't really a newer business. Um, So that's why I always want to be careful and come back and say, I'm not anti-ad for somebody who is advertising and it's, and the numbers are working in a way that they feel good about. My advice is always more, not less. Could we spend more? Just last month, I was having a meeting with a CFO client and she had you know, uh, uh, like a few, maybe you know, twenty or thirty thousand budgeted for ads. And I said, "Hey, what if I said you could spend a hundred thousand on ads? Would you?" And she got really excited. Her team was excited. So, 
when ads are working, I like to turn that knob up, not down. Uh, the people where I will discourage them from ads is if they're just spending money on ads and they're not getting useful information from it and they're not getting sales from it and they're just sort of doing it because they think they're supposed to, I'll encourage them to pause and sort of figure out what their goal is for the, for the campaign, for the project, and then restart with an eye on that very specific measurable thing. Super. That's really helpful. Thanks a lot, Mark. Great, great questions. I really appreciate your questions. Who else? Who wants to chat? Hi. And, oh, great. Hi, Bryn. Hi. Welcome. Um, I think you're new. I think you're new, right? Yep. I just had my first meeting with um, Amanda today. And I'm not a coach and I don't, not a part of the coaching world, but I stumbled across your um you and Brooke had like a podcast about bookkeeping and that was during a time where I was just kind of desperately searching for bookkeeping help and um, accounting help. And, and like, it just really resonated with me because what you guys were talking about and what Brooke was saying was that like, every time she talks to an accountant, it's like, she feels so stupid. <laughs> and like, like they, it feels like they're charging me for every penny that, I mean, for every minute of time that I'm spending talking to them and like and then they just don't really speak they don't put it in layman's terms um so it's kind of hard to understand things so like you guys had a it really resonated with me and it was like I signed up for your course right away um entrepreneurial bookkeeping and but then a year now a year has passed by and I didn't realize that I could actually have you as my bookkeeper so so I'm really excited now that I know that that's possible um and I, I did sign up right away to like but on your website, it says that you guys help to like kind of like know what to what's a good investment choice and things like that. So is this like how we get that help? Or I thought there was yeah. some kind of. Yeah, if there's if there's something in particular on your mind that you're thinking about investing in, let's let's chat about it. Well, there's not specifically, but I'm a court reporter slash stenographer transcriptionist and I um, like, I don't know, I just started, I started my business a few years ago and hired someone to help me do all the proofreading and editing and all that mm. um, so that I could have more time. But I never really paid attention to my bookkeeping or finances or anything like that because I never really had to, but as, as I'm spending more money paying her and as I'm not paying attention to my bookkeeping or to my numbers or anything, uh, I notice now I don't have any profit and so, yeah. So then when I heard your podcast and your chorus, it just was really inspiring because I am very driven by numbers. And like when I know a number, like and what I need to do to get to that number, I know that I'll do it. But, you know, not paying attention to the numbers for so long, it's just kind of like kind of hard to get back in, to get into it. Yeah. As a uh, I've never talked to a uh, uh, is it you say court recorder? reporter reporter but sorry i guess more common word would be stenographer are you paid by the hour you contract by the hour no by the page by the page okay cool interesting um <clears throat> and do you pay by the page do i pay like my employee yeah your proofreader oh yes you do mm -hmm. okay but you're feeling like you don't you're not you're, there's not profit really left over at the end of the day? Well, there should be. I mean, I, 
it's just that like overall my my profit my like amount of money that I have in the business has just like gone down because I kind of just didn't pay attention to it and wasn't really working hard to you know I was paying attention more to my hobbies and other things and not really doing the work that I should be doing because I didn't really know how and didn't feel like you know looking it up well actually I did a lot of research and stuff trying to find a bookkeeper slash accountant that would help me but um yeah it took me a year so so yeah I would you say that the decrease in income is uh more the result of your expenses going up or because the amount of work you've done has gone down like are you working less well I am working less yes because I moved from New York to Maine during COVID and so between COVID and moving from New York to Maine, the work was like drastically reduced um, for a while. So I kind of just wasn't working a lot. And then, um, so it just, now I need to put the effort in to get back to where I was before. And now that I have her working, freeing up a lot of my time, I can put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it. How much do you charge per page? Uh, $4.50 is standard for per page um, for one person ordering the transcript. And then if multiple people order, they also have to pay for a copy, which is $2 per page for each additional uh, client. Okay. And so um, you're able to, you're able to transcribe one page and then sell that page multiple times. Well, like each transcript would normally be like a couple hundred pages. Okay. How much do you pay your proofreader per page? $1.50. So it's a third. Yeah, she, she does more than proofreading. She, she's a scopist and like she has the software and everything. So, so yeah, about a third. Or uh, is, is that kind of yeah. an industry, industry standard? Is there an yeah. industry standard? Yeah, kind of. Well, I give her a little more. I, I pay her also a monthly stipend for doing kind of like management work of the transcripts. So she'll make sure that every transcript is submitted on time. So that's like $750 a month that I pay her. That's flat Plus, fee? Flat fee, yeah. Whether, whether you, no matter how many pages got transcribed that month, she's getting $750 regardless. Yeah. So are there months where she, you're not you're not doing much and she's still getting paid her 750? Yep. But I don't I don't know the numbers because I haven't been keeping track or paying attention, which is what I'm gonna, you know, try to make myself start doing. Well that and that's that's fine. That's worthwhile. Um, without even digging into numbers, what we've just struck on there is is uh, whether it's uh, court, whether it's stenography or any other type of freelancing. Um, fixed costs are sort of the death of freelancers. So, because freelancers, it's one of the most variable incomes there is, you know, there's, there's just big fluctuation typically in, in a freelancer's life. So when a freelancer has highly fluctuating income, but expenses that don't fluctuate, it doesn't take very many low months of income with those fixed expenses to eat up the profit. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be engaging with her at the 750 per month. That's not my point. My point is, since you have her at a fixed level, plus the variable, it's a good deal for her. She never loses, 
there's no there's no downside for her there's only downside for you uh you, you the number you need to chase is an is a number of pages per month that guarantees that you make uh, a healthy profit on top of the 750 that she generates because your profit is already built into the into the 153 dollars split on the 450 per page but then also when you sell additional at you said two dollars per page that seems like that's pure profit is that true because she's already proofed yes. that page right yeah yeah i like those let's sell a lot of those how do we sell more of that Mm -hmm. uh, those are my favorite part of your business. The extra pages that don't have any extra expense, but, but your job is, is a certain number of pages per month. You know, I don't know what that is. A couple thousand pages per month or a few, few thousand. Is there a number that pops into your head when I say that? Not at all. I, I should probably figure that out, but no, I haven't paid attention to it, but I could, Am I mean, I have, my my employee she does there we have like a excel sheet that we share online and so she'll update it and i asked her to put the page numbers in so i could probably just go in there and like add them all up and i could figure that out easily i'd be curious and maybe, maybe that's the maybe it's not the best way to look at it uh, maybe it's a certain number of cases per month or court days per month maybe there's some other way that you would look at it and say this number of court days translates into this number of pages roughly. So what, what all of us need in our businesses is some number that we can say, if I knock that domino over, all the rest of the dominoes are going to take care of themselves. And I, so I don't know whether that's court days or, or transcribed pages, or I don't know what it is exactly. Um, yeah, probably I just have to track the pages and <laughs> try to get more jobs if I'm low one month or something. Yeah. How much of a, like how much of a lead time is there on, uh, when you get asked to, to do the handle the work for a case, do you know the day before or a week before, or usually a lot of times I don't know until a couple days before. Um, so that's one thing I'm also trying to change. <laughs> but. Who, who, Who's the person that calls you or emails you and says, Hey, Brian, we need you in court Thursday. Is it the same person every time? Um, no, I've done, I've worked for a lot of different court reporting agencies and also other court reporters and sometimes for law firms directly. But mm. um, I mean, right now I'm working mostly for one, one reporter who she's like an agency, but not really just like kind of a small agency. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, she, so she's kind of subcontracting work to you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So the, the other thing is not only do all of us need to figure out what our big domino is, whether that's court days or transcribed pages or whatever, we also kind of have to figure out what are the key relationships? What are the key relationships that drive our business and how do we nurture those relationships? So, uh, because they're the people who make the phone ring. They're the people who say, Hey, we need you in court on Thursday. So if that's a certain position at a law firm, if that's a certain, we're basically, we're trying to figure out who are we going to become friends with so that they call us first. Like who, that, who are the clients? Who are the clients? But sometimes when we say who are the clients, we think about the person signing the check and it might be this person signing the check, but it might not be the person signing the check. It might be that person's assistant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So when, like the, the when, 
Yeah. When the boss, you know, when the, when the partner of the firm, when she goes to her paralegal and says, look, I, we're going to need somebody to handle all this, this caseload. So deal with it. It's the paralegal that we want to call you. So it's the paralegal that, you know, we're going to send gift baskets to, Mm -hmm. for example. Okay. Yeah. So, so kind of trying to introduce myself to these people. Yeah. Yeah. If they're the people who can make the, make the phone ring, then they're the people that matter. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll have that as a goal. Thank you. I bet just, just having had this conversation, I bet you don't have a big expense problem in your business. I, it doesn't sound like you're leaking a lot of your profit through kind of miscellaneous expenses. It sounds to me like you have a marketing, not even marketing problem. Like your, your opportunity is in marketing and relationship building with the people who actually hire court reporters. And the more of them that know you and like you and trust you, the fuller your, your schedule is going to be. Yes. Cool. Well, it's great to chat with you. I'm glad you found your way, uh, found your way here to us. We do yeah, a great job for you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to start. Great. Great. Good to talk to you. You too. Okay, folks, about 10 minutes left. Anybody else want to chat? Anything about your marketing, your business planning? bookkeeping and accounting. Can we just unmute? There you go. Hi, Jen. Um, Hey, I have a question. I just, we keep tossing around. um, I don't know if it's a question, but profit first. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, I don't know how much you subscribe to that theory or is there a way to like set it up in YNAB so that it's like in those categories or. Yeah. Yeah. Profit first is a funny one because, um, I tell people that I was profit firsting before it was called profit first. And I'm mostly just jealous that he called it that. Cause I think he's a genius. Uh, Mike McCallowitz, by the way, and profit first, those of you who haven't heard of it, it's a book. I think it's really fantastic. The principle for those of you who have not heard of it is that for, for every dollar that comes into your business, you, you sort of take the principle of paying yourself first that we've heard in personal finance a billion times and you apply it to your business. So you, for every dollar that comes in, you take a certain percentage and you set it aside for your own profit. And then you set aside some money for taxes and then et cetera, et cetera, until all the money is spoken for. YNAB is actually, uh, I think the best way to implement profit first, if you're interested in profit first, the way he prescribes is with bank accounts. So he says, as money comes in, take money from account A and put it in account B and then into account C and you end up with five or 10 bank accounts. YNAB allows you to do that while only having one bank account. And instead of divvying the money up between a bunch of bank accounts, you divvy up the money between virtual envelopes or categories in your, you need a budget account and it does exactly the same job. But in my opinion, better. Okay. Um, And the reason I say in my opinion, better, it's because especially when profit first was pretty new and people really wanted to go all in on it. I would see them uh, set up a bunch of bank accounts and then I would see them transferring money over to their accounts and then transferring it right back. <laughs> like, like there's a lot of like uh, people have all these accounts with zero balances. It's like, it's like their good intentions all mapped out in their, in their online checking account. And I'm the same way, but YNAB, 
YNAB just allows you to be a little bit more fluid and flexible. It acknowledges that these things kind of take time to adapt and to, uh, to adopt. Mm -hmm. And so the money's going to be pretty fluid between these envelopes until you kind of figure out how to make it work for you. And then the beauty of it is when you do figure it out, you're left with one checking account, but all the same clarity that profit first promises. Um, and, and just less administrative overhead. So I, wait, Oh, go ahead. I just like, so like if I make a sale, I can go in and say like 20% goes to taxes and however much goes to me and just like put it in YNAB that way. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And I I've committed to my team and I don't know that I've announced it yet, but I'll announce it here. I've committed to my team that I'm going to do a YNAB course and it'll be, I'll sell it, but it'll be free for bookkeeping clients. And uh, it'll walk through, I don't know that I'll use profit first terminology because I'm not that well educated about it, uh, but it will show you what, what we do as your bookkeepers is we manage the accounts and the transactions. And I want to give you a video course that teaches you how to manage the budget screen. If you're interested in that, if yeah. you're interested in managing cash flow that way. So yeah. I'd say in the next like six weeks, I could have something to, to make that work. But I think cool. your uh, I think your instincts about it are are spot on. A sale comes in, you take X percent, put it in this envelope, Y percent, put it in that envelope, and so on. Yeah, I feel like I've sort of tried to do that, but I don't really, yeah, don't understand it well enough. Maybe I think it, uh, this may not be true for you, but a, what a lot of people experience is they do that, and then they're like, "But wait, I need that money. I can't leave it over there in whatever special place I put it. I need it. I have bills to pay right now. And it's in that sort of dance where the money we think we want to allocate, we actually need it now. And we're, we're learning to actually figure out what we can allocate to longer term categories. Uh, what some people experience with YNAB or Profit First, because they're essentially the same philosophy, is they start to feel... And this may not be you at all, Jen, I'm, I'm off on a tangent now, but um, they feel guilt or confusion when the money comes in, they allocate it, but then they have to take it back. And they're like, either I'm failing or I don't understand how this actually works, but clearly I'm doing something wrong. And you're probably not doing something wrong. You're probably just, uh, you're probably just not realizing how flexible a person has to be when they try to adopt a system like Profit First or YNAB for you know, a long time. Yeah. Well, I think there's also just a learning curve with software. Super steep. And uh, I think with YNAB in particular, I think the learning curve is brutal. I think it's brutal. <laughs> I, it took me four years to finally, not four years of steady effort, four years of starting and quitting till I was finally like, okay, I'm going to actually do this. And when I actually did it, it's because the company hired me. It was my job. <laughs> like my best friend is the founder of YNAB. And I was like, dude, your software, I can't even begin. I don't, I don't get it. But then he hired me and I had to figure it out. So I did, but it's, it's a really steep learning curve. Okay. So thanks for the question and the reminder that I need to get that video course out. Cool. Anything else, Jen? Okay. Final thoughts or questions before we sign off for the day, folks. All right. Thanks for being here. Great to chat with you all. I will. Uh...
What's that? I said, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Glad you were all able to make it today. I will get a recording out this time and make a habit of that. And I will fix the spreadsheet and share that as well. So looking forward to talking to you all again in the very near future. Have a great one. See you.